When it comes to breaking up major organized crime activities, getting drugs off the street seems like the easier part. For officers who are tasked with following the money, getting charges laid and getting convictions to stick is a big problem. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We take a look at a major money laundering case in BC that shows how criminals are trying to move that cash and challenges faced by the police and prosecutors who are tasked with dismantling these outlaw organizations. I spend a lot of time talking to journalists across the country about important stories that matter to you. But it's not just the reporters I want to hear from. If you like what we're doing with this show, definitely head on over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and leave a review and a comment. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Gordon Hookstra is an investigative reporter with the Vancouver Sun. So, Gordon, when we're talking about money laundering in British Columbia, how much money are we talking about? That is uh, uh, one of the $64,000 questions. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the short answer to that is when you talk to the RCMP or you know, people who are in the prosecution service business or even experts is that they don't know exactly. It's believed to be billions of dollars. I mean, a, a good example would be um, recently you know, one of these cases, you know, they found ledgers that showed that, uh, or at least seemed to show that about $83 million had been washed during a four and a half month period. So, uh, hmm. and they believe that the, the organization was going on longer. So if you extrapolate that, it, you know, it ends up being about $220 million a year. Wow. And this is seen as a growing problem in BC right now. It's a problem that has, has started to be acknowledged. It's a problem that has, you know, like as in all jurisdictions, money laundering is not a new thing. It's been going on for, you know, decades and decades and, you know, maybe as much as a century or so, you know, starting, uh, last year, um, or even before that, you know, the post media broke a series of stories. One of my other colleagues on uh, money laundering that was going on into casinos, and that sparked a whole bunch of attention on the issue, including by our own attorney general here, who launched an independent review of what was going on. And so it sort of has the the interest is kind of just magnified because of the because uh, because of the findings of this and sort of some of these things have just have come up to light in a much more public way. What kind of enterprises is this uh, money coming from? It's from organized crime, you know, largely from uh, from drug trafficking. It could come from other things like you know uh, from fraud and extortion things like that. But uh, the police uh, tell us that you know large, and you can see that through the you know the court documents, documents and the examinations that we've made that it's largely coming from drug trafficking. You mentioned organized crime groups. What groups are we talking about here? Are we talking about Hell's Angels? Are we talking about Asian gangs, uh, drug cartels? Who's who are the main players here? Uh, it's it's all of them. That's what's one of the other things in this recent piece that we did that when we took a look through a whole bunch of court documents that it it it's clear that you know that it involves all these players. I mean, in particular, there was a, a major underground bank in Richmond that was being run by Asian players, and obviously they were washing cash from other Asian organized uh, crime uh, um, folks. But it also involved washing money from uh, people that were, you know, uh, linked to the Hells Angels and also had links to, you know, uh, you know, Mexican and other, uh, you know, Colombian, South American uh, drug cartels. All of these folks, you know, they end up with this, this cash from, you know, from the street from selling these drugs, you know, largely in $20 bills, and they're, they're trying to find a way to wash that money. And so, they, in a sense, anyone who's involved in the, in the organized kind of crime business has the same problem about how what to do with this cash. How is this money getting washed? Is it 
mostly casinos? Is it being funneled through real estate deals? How's how's it getting kind of sorted out for them? Well, there's no doubt that uh, you know back in 2015 and and previous to that, there was money that was being washed through casinos. They had there was a whole setup that this underground bank had going, where basically they had these high end gamblers from uh, the mainland China who wanted to get cash into Canada in part to gamble, but for other purposes. And so they would make some connection with the folks that were involved in these uh, in this, this scheme. And then they would essentially just pick up a bag of cash in Vancouver. And then they would deposit, you know, like money, you know, minus whatever, you know, service fee that there was for the transfer into underground banks in China. And so that way it allowed the, the, the drug folks to, you know, launder their money and get cash elsewhere. And then, the, and then, the, and the idea was that they also had uh, links to folks in in other jurisdictions, including Mexico and Colombia. And then the and then the folks that were gambling would pick up their cash here. And the idea was that they would go into the you know some of the money was used for gambling, whether that was in casinos or in illegal gambling uh, uh, halls. But then some of it they would they would gamble a bit and then get paid out with higher denomination money, you know, like hundred dollar mm-hmm. bills that are like properly wrapped or whatever. And then it's a lot easier to get that back into the legitimate. Uh, into the legitimate economy. Now, given that we're talking about millions, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars and potentially dangerous criminals tied to organized crime groups, police are obviously all over this. In your recent piece, you talk about uh, a couple of Vancouver police uh, investigations as well as an RCMP investigation. But while there have been arrests, We've seen charges state or even no charges at all. What what challenges are police facing here in dealing with this issue? Well, when you talk to the police, I mean, one of the, the, the issues that they talk about is that, and I think you have to sort of look at this in a careful way, they talk about it not being a policing issue, but a prosecution issue. And I, and I don't think that they're actually, you know, sort of pointing the finger at the prosecution services and saying they're not doing a good job and we're only doing a good job. But it's the ability to build this case and the evidence and then meet the threshold for prosecution uh, as a result of a, you know, a number of, of Canada's highest court decisions at the Supreme Court in, the, in one more recent you know, on timing and one that was quite a long time ago on disclosure. There's this vast amounts of information that they have to you know, put together and present in order to build a case. And you know uh, that I, that has just been challenging, and I and when they and so then in order to meet that kind of prosecution threshold when they're dealing with the the the, the crown councils, whether that's at the federal or sometimes at the in some cases at the provincial level, they are going through those cases, and then they want more information, and it takes time, and then sometimes if there is some kind of an issue, that can just put the case off the rails, which is one of the things that happened with what this one of the recent ones that was stayed. So this is something that poses challenge, not just for police, but for prosecutors and, and could be something that to make any changes may have to be looked at at a higher level of government. We just actually had a, you know, a parliamentary committee examine this last year, a federal one on the money laundering uh, laws and, and terrorist financing that they have to do every five years. I mean, I think there's an acknowledgement that the police could use uh, more resources, but there's also a, a, a feeling that you know, some experts say that there's a need to create, you know, a kind of specialized separate entity that would investigate these kinds of, uh, you know, financial crimes with the kind of expertise to come to bear. 
And there was a feeling, you know, among some experts that there's a need for, you know, better case management and oversight on these things. But certainly, there's also, a, a, you know, a recommendation in, in the uh, from the parliamentary committee that examination is taken at the law that perhaps there's a way to to lower the kind of threshold that has to be proved in money laundering cases in particular. You've seen that in the UK recently, where they had a, a precedent-setting case. You know, I think back in 2008 or so that lowered the kind of threshold in terms of trying to prove that the cash that you had comes from a kind of predicate crime. So now we're talking about money that's being washed uh, through kind of high value gamblers and casinos, but how is this money changing hands? How is it getting from these drug organizations and these organized crime groups into the hands of the gamblers and then into banks? How does the money flow here? So one of the things when we were looking at in our latest uh, investigation, uh, you know, through an examination of like hundreds of pages of court documents, you can see that essentially the the drug traffickers are sort of you know they have the kind of have intermediaries. So in, in a particular case we had there was like you know there was a kind of a, a southeast Vancouver business that was a supposed kind of cosmetics manufacturer, and what police surveillance showed was alleged drug traffickers and couriers were dropping off. Uh, bags or backpacks or boxes at this at this place, and then they would leave empty-handed. And then through some other information that they gathered through a, another linked investigation, they were able to show that the person that owned this business was dropping this cash off at this alleged underground bank. And so then that's where so that was sort of to be the connection. The money would flow, you know, through these various sort of whether it's go-betweens or directly to the underground bank. They drop the cash off, you know. They would store it there, and then you know these uh, high-end gamblers would come and pick it up. And obviously, we're not just talking about uh, local crime groups. This is something that crosses Canada. One of the operations that you touch on in your feature even uh, dealt with jurisdictional issues between Alberta and British Columbia. What can you tell me about kind of those hurdles that law enforcement are facing? Yeah, I think it just shows that. I mean, this is not. Uh, an issue where you're talking about one crime group in one, you know, geographic area with one drug, and, you know, it crosses the gambit. So it probably comes as no surprise that, that, you know, that drugs that are flowing into British Columbia then would be delivered to Alberta and that the folks in Alberta, you know, have connections to certain crime organizations that they are then, you know, passing back cash that they make to be delivered back to, you know, this underground bank in Vancouver or Richmond, actually. And I mean, all of that complicates things because you're talking about, even within Canada, you know, cross-border jurisdictions, but you're also talking about, you know, money that's moving in a set. Well, it's not even moving. It's sort of like, it's like a ledger accounting that one cash is, is credited here, you know, and then and debited in China. And a similar thing allegedly was taking place in other jurisdictions like Mexico and in, in South America. So, I mean, all of that, poses, you know, significant challenges for investigating these kinds of crimes. Now, are we talking about the drug investigations leading police to the money laundering investigations or vice versa? I mean, it was a combination of both. I mean, the initial, if you sort of step back, the the initial investigation that that uh, was around the underground bank in Richmond, I mean, it was sparked by some information that actually came from, uh, you know, a dealing with the casinos, that people were dropping off these bags of cash in, the, in parking lots that were nearby the casinos. And mm-hmm. so the, the police sort of followed that money backwards 
to the uh, to the underground bank in uh, in Richmond, and then surveilled that, and you know, and then obviously identified suspects, and 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 then and then suing, you know, uh, raid sort of arrested a bunch of people. On the other side, you know, the other thing started from the drug trafficking and then following the money, you know, back to where it was being dropped off or, you know, dumped at these, uh, at, the, at the money laundering places. Now, obviously, the gaming industry doesn't want their establishments being used as a money laundering uh, method for organized crime. What are casinos doing to try and deal with this issue? The government here launched this independent review, and so the fellow that did the review, his name is Peter German. He's a former deputy commissioner of the RCMP. So he found that indeed money had been washed through casinos, and he called it sort of like a collective lack of you know sort of oversight, where you know everyone was sort of filing the report that they needed to file, but no one was sort of connecting the dots. So the casinos were filing these suspicious transaction reports when you were getting this cash to the BC Lotteries Commission, who was then forwarding it into a FinTrack, which is Canada's financial intelligence unit. But, you know, at some point that went on for years without, you know, anyone sort of like seriously investigating what was going on. From I think 2010 to 2016, there was $650 million of suspicions cash transaction reports. Uh, issued and two thirds of that money was in twenty dollar bills. So in the end, German said that he figured maybe conservatively, you know, a hundred million dollars was laundered in casinos, but it's likely a lot more. There had been some stuff that they that they you know that both the uh, government's oversight body, uh, gaming enforcement, and lotteries corporation uh, had put in place to kind of knock things back a bit. But it wasn't until the government basically enforced new rules which said that. Any you know cash that comes in over ten thousand dollars, you have to determine where the money came from. Uh, when they did that, all of a sudden, those suspicious transactions and the cash coming into the casinos dropped on down almost to nothing. So, if they're not using casinos to launder money, or if it's hard, if it becomes harder for them to do so, where may these drug operations move their money to? We don't know for sure. I mean, certainly there's the potential to use, you know, tried and true methods, which is, you know, smurfing, which you take transactions that are less than $10,000 that don't meet the threshold for reporting. And then mm-hmm. you try to find someone to get that into the legitimate banking system. You can literally sometimes do that, you know, through putting multiple deposits through banking machines and in different uh, accounts and then consolidate them. There's There's a huge area, which is, you know, trade-based money laundering, where you sort of make fake invoices and and make it look like you're selling more goods than you are. And so then you generate cash that way. It can be done through legitimate businesses where you sort of pad the amount of cash that's going through them. But some of those questions are hopefully going to be answered in a second report that the government has commissioned from the same fellow, Peter German. And he's taking, he's examining both the real estate sector, you know, things like luxury goods, which would include high-end cars and boats, and also like betting on, on like uh, racetracks, like horse racetracks and things like that. So as of now, we don't have any cases to point to to say that's where it's being done. I mean, sometimes they take uh, money and like literally transport it, you know, across borders and try to get themselves to a more friendly jurisdiction to, to launder the cash. Well, it is a fascinating issue and definitely curious to see where uh, else the tentacles may reach. Uh, Gord, thanks for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Darm McQuana. Thanks to my guest, Gord Hookstrup. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>